Hi, I'm Angus. And hi, I'm Christy. In this episode of Fighting Words, we're going to be talking about medicinal cannabis access for Australian patients and what some of the problems are. So we're going to explain what our understanding of some of these problems are and then go into a little bit of a step through in the hope of solving some of these problems that perhaps you might be experiencing yourself. One thing we do know is there's a lot of Australian patients who through accessing medicinal cannabis in the last few years are seeing extraordinary improvements in their health conditions and particularly in their quality of life. You've probably heard this term bandied about quite a bit and it's become sort of a, a commonly a modern accepted way of measuring the overall quality of somebody's life. So when you're sick, you don't feel great, you don't go out of the house much, you're not getting any vitamin D, there's all of these sort of flow on effects. And so from a single point, you could measure it as a condition, but overall, holistically, let's call it, you can measure it as a, as a quality of life input. So we're seeing huge improvements in this space. We also know, mostly from people reaching out to us for help, is there's a lot more people who feel like they would be benefiting from accessing medicinal cannabis and incorporating it into their health management routine. Some of the conditions are very specific, but I would say the majority of them that come to us around more general, like I said, quality of life things, so pain, maybe chronic pain, sleep, another problem that's uh, becoming a lot more prevalent in today's society, and we were just talking about this before, is anxiety. Particularly, I would say, related to social media, but that's probably a whole nother subject. Certainly, now, if we were to take a slice, if we were to take it a slice of demographic and measure the propensity of anxiety compared to 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, it's a huge increase. And one of the things that makes me happy is that this is Cannabis is really great, actually, for this kind of thing. Sleep, we're learning that this is almost your superpower. This is your body's opportunity to go into its natural healing rhythms. Chemicals are released when you're asleep. When you're asleep, your, your brain goes through a program, basically, REM and different phases of your sleep to release different chemicals throughout your body to go through this regenerative healing process on its own. It's actually got these programs built in. So when you interfere with the sleep and you interrupt the sleep, then you're getting this spill-on effect of having less healing. And if it continues, if you're getting bad sleep repeatedly, then you can measure actually that output, that quality output going down and down and down and down and down and down. And it won't improve until you can address the sleep. So these are the ways that cannabis is really powerful for improving your quality of life. There are some pre-qualifying conditions. Uh, at the moment, this is it's prescribed under what they call the Special Access Scheme, CAT-B, as an unapproved medicine. This is really the way that the TGA has been able to bring cannabis to everybody as a medicine without it having to go through the long, expensive, traditional pathways of clinical trials that you would normally go through to bring an approved drug. This is an unapproved drug to the market. So clinical trials, they're about a year and a half each. They cost millions and millions of dollars. If they had have gone down that road, we'd probably still be waiting for our cannabis medicine now. So the fact that it's unapproved is great. It gives it, it accelerated that access. So on that basis, there are some conditions. So 
Essentially, the conditions are fairly arbitrary though. So what it comes down to is the GP's willingness to help the patient to get a prescription. There are a few dedicated cannabis clinics around Australia that do telehealth. There's people like Cannabis Doctors Australia and Canview. There's people like Alternaleaf. Onalee is another one. Onalee, who we're not not affiliated with or Mm. associated with. No. But these are prescribers that have taken it upon themselves to help you access cannabis, basically. So we know the biggest common problem, and you've probably heard this in your own circles, is I went and had a chat with my doctor and he said, no, I don't want to do this, go away. So what are the, what are the challenges? Can you, can you run through some of the common challenges that patients are facing? Yeah, look, I think that the reason that these GPs are unwilling Uh, is a few different reasons, and I'm sure that they've all got their own reasons. But I would say primarily they've been doing what they do as a prescriber for many, many years to great success. There's never been a problem. Mm. You come to me with a problem, I'll try to fix it with my arsenal of drugs. Mm -hmm. Why do I need this new thing that's never been a drug before? Yeah. So it's a new thing. So if I came to you and said, hey, uh, Christy, I know you drive to work every day, but I've got a great idea for you. I want you to ride this tricycle. Are you <laughs> on board with that? And you go, what? Yeah. Why would I? Right? So I get it. I get it. I get the reluctance. I think part of it is probably ego. Right. That they just don't know and they don't want to say to you, oh, I don't know how to do this. Do you think that that's a common thing with, say, older GPs? Is that a... Yeah. generational thing, do you think? Do you, are you seeing a difference between older GPs versus younger GPs, for example? I would say in general, but I, I don't think age is, is the prohibiting factor. Mm. I think there's a real catalyst for people to decide whether they're on board with this or not, and that's if they've been touched by it. Because it's a controversial um, drug? or Well, I would say like the older guys, I think what you're alluding to is the, the traditionalists, and, mm. the, and they've, they grew up it was stigmatized. Mm. It was bad. It was a, a drug. It was for beatniks. Yeah. Certainly not <laughs> a medicine. And that's really hard to change. Right. Uh, really hard. Mm. It echoes and echoes and echoes. Yeah. This Harry Anslinger problem. It's an inner belief that they have and hold. It's a belief and their parents. Yeah. It's the same as racism. It's the same as voting rights. Mm. If you're programmed with this stigma, mm. it's really hard to mm. deprogram it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I've seen, like I said before, that can work really well as a deprogramming tool, as a catalyst, is when they're touched. Yeah, they've had an experience. My grandson had epilepsy and I've seen the results for myself with CBD and now I'm transformed. Right. Now I'm converted Mm. because it's made it into my little circle and they can see it for themselves. And do you think they are also the ones that aren't willing to prescribe, that they see it as a risk? As well, they wouldn't know potentially how to dose. I think there's a patients. bit of that. And look, and, and again, I think that's a fair point. It's not easy. So it's easy to just write somebody a prescription and mm. say, "Here you go, go and take some cannabis. Let me know how you go." Mm. Right? That's easy. Yeah. But being really precise with it and and understanding what's happening with the ECS, mm. which nobody, none of these guys were taught about at med school. This is a fairly new discovery, the endocannabinoid system. Right. So if I'm a, a lung specialist, I know all about the lungs. Mm. I'm super duper lung guru. <laughs> yeah. 
And I can tell you every single thing that there is to know about them. Mm. If I'm trying to prescribe you cannabis, I should be an ECS expert, actually. Right. Because that's what that's how it works. Yep. And none of them are. No. So they're general, they general learnt. practice. I know that this thing works for sleep. I know that this thing works for pain. I can help you with it. But there's certainly a limit to that understanding. Mm. So yep. that's one of the things that we want to do is try to support the knowledge of these guys. Give help them the educate confidence. them. Yeah, give yeah. them the confidence. Yep. Because I wouldn't want to be out there claiming to be some sort of expert in something that I've never done before mm. either. So Absolutely. I think it's fair and I think uh, – I get it, and I think patients get it as well, mm. but unfortunately, it's the patient that misses out now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. the patient has educated themselves to the point where they've gone, my condition, I've had a look, I've researched it, mm -hmm. I'm eligible, mm -hmm. it works, I've seen this work for other people, mm. I think it's going to work for me. Yeah. Well, we're seeing that this is a patient-driven situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love how passionate they are about it. And again, yeah. you know, when you see the results for yourself, mm -hmm. then you're completely convinced. Absolutely. So we've gone through the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners checklist. So when GPs are considering whether medicinal cannabis products should be prescribed, it is important to have a detailed discussion of the potential benefits and harms of the treatment with the patient. All identified risk factors should be appropriately discussed and ensure proper and accurate documentation is provided. The following information should be documented uh, in the patient's clinical notes and points should be considered and discussed with the patient before prescribing medicinal cannabis products. So what the GPs will be asking you if you're coming in to see a GP to get prescribed for medicinal cannabis, they'd be asking things like, are you over 18? Do you have a, a chronic health condition? They'd be discussing your medical history, particularly any mental health illnesses, specifically schizophrenia. Have you tried any other treatments, primarily medicines such as Panamax and any history of drug dependence? Any allergies that you may have, history of hypersensitivity to cannabis oil products, current medical history such as, you know, are you currently pregnant or breastfeeding, for example? And have any of these treatments failed previously? Do you have social support? So, are, if you're unable to drive while using THC, medicinal cannabis products, employment, situations, especially in employment where you're using machinery, forklifts and, and things like that, high-risk uh, occupations, the doctor will be checking as well, and contraindications. Yeah, so the, these are standard questions that a, that a prescriber needs to consider when they're uh, looking to, to put you on, you know, almost any kind of drug, you know, drug-to-drug -drug interactions. And certainly, there are risks. It's not a, it's mm. I think you know we don't want to be here sort of trying to claim that cannabis is is the magic solution for every single problem and for every single person it's absolutely not the case of mm. course. Yeah. So the prescriber is going to want comfort that they're not causing you harm that's what this is about. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the next step? So once you've gone through your questions, completed your initial consultation. And like I said, if you've seen a cannabis prescriber, they do this all day. They're really good at it. They're going to try their very best to support your interest in, in trying cannabis as a medicine for your particular product. So once you've been through the consultation, 
the prescriber needs to approve, uh, apply for approval to the TGA for your SASCAT B prescription. This is normally fairly fast. It used to be a couple of days up to a week. I think they've, they've really improved that part of the system. The approval comes back. And in most cases, let's say if you're doing telehealth, you'll get a phone call from the prescriber. Uh, you'll get yourself a prescription. The prescription will often be sent straight to a dispensing pharmacy. And that's actually the pharmacy that will ring you and say, hey, we've got a script here for you. We've got your medicine. Would you like to come and pick it up or would you like us to post it out to you? Mm. I think this is great. Mm-hmm. This is the future of… So convenient. Yeah. It's the future of, yep. of healthcare. And particularly if you've got a condition that's debilitating in some way and you can't leave the house or you don't want to leave the house, mm-hmm. great. Yeah, I think uh, particularly for older people, you know, the elderly, for example, who, you know, they can't just go out whenever they want these days. It's not so easy. No, yeah. no. Um, and for some people, they enjoy that. It's, a, it's mm. a trip out. But if you don't, if you've got PTSD, for example, right. you know, Leaving the house can mm. be a daunting proposition. Mm. So knowing yeah. that your medicine is arriving in a few days to your letterbox is, you know, super convenient. So mm. to me, that would be my preference mm. because it's just so easy. Yeah. I think something else I just want to mention here is that for some patients, accessing cannabis through the black market is presented as an easier solution without the red tape in many cases, right? This is what we've seen or know (laughs) that patients are still preferring to do. I think this comes back to the lack of information out there for patients, particularly around how easy it is to gain a medicinal cannabis prescription if you know what to do. But we can, you know, talk about that a little bit later on, but just wanted to outline that as a problem. Yeah, look, I think it's a good point, Christy. I think it is probably easier, maybe easier to get it through the black market. It depends in a lot of the cases, you do have to go and deal with a fairly shady sort of character. So Yeah, yeah. And that's risky. And there's risk there. There is, yeah. The big difference to me is two things. One is what are you actually getting? Mm. For us as a medicine producer, we've got a lot of rigorous tests and quality assurance and auditing trail to make sure that we've never introduced any microbial content into our medicine. Mm. We've never breached any foreign matter tolerances that are, you know, on a microscopic level so that it's, Mm. according Mm. to the TGA or the FDA, they call it in America, the food and drug, it's the same with with TGA. Yeah. You're ingesting something, it needs to be proven to be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is your guy down the road selling out of the back Mm -hmm. of a combi doing all this? You don't know what the hell he's doing. I'm certain that he's not. (laughs) No. I would be pleasantly surprised if he is, but I... I Doubt it. Pretty sure (laughs) that he doesn't drive around with (laughs) with (laughs) gas chromatography and and mass spectrometry equipment in the back of his van, right? No, I'm sure. Pretty sure sure I've never seen it. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong. If your guy does this and I'm wrong, please let me know in the comments. I'd love to meet him. Maybe I need to give him a job. (laughs) But certainly that's one of the big differences, right? We can say this is all safe. It's been tested. It's been proven. It's always going to be safe. Absolutely. The lucky thing with cannabis is even when it has some of that mold some of that mold and aflatoxin and whatever, it's usually in fairly small doses and it's usually fairly inco- inconsequential, but it could actually be making you a little bit sick, right? Yeah. While you're yeah, there could thinking, be side effects. You're thinking that mm. you're taking it as medicine and yep. you're getting a, maybe a placebo effect yep. and maybe some medicinal effect, but you could also be getting a little bit of a toxic effect right. as well. Right, and it's not measured. 
And it's that's the problem. Yeah. That you don't know. Yeah. You absolutely won't know. Yeah. Yeah. The other different, the big difference there is, is your dealer a doctor? Does he have your health in his best interest? Is that really his best interest no. or is it grabbing your cash and going to the next guy? Of course, that's what so it's about. So herein is, is actually, for me, this is the big distinction. Yeah. The doctor has a Hippocratic oath to try to do his utmost to help you with your condition. Mm-hmm. Your dealer does not. Yeah. Yeah. He'll tell you that he, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, this is the best, greatest oil in the universe. It'll help you, whatever. <laughs> mm. That's the extent of it. Right. When you're talking to a GP with your cannabis, you're doing checkups. He's mm. measuring the response. Yeah. And one thing that I'm finding that we know, big contributor to efficacy is dosing. So are you getting dosing, accurate dosing information from your dealer as well, I would say probably not. Yeah. So when you go to your GP, it gives you your cannabis medicine, you try it. Often at the start, it's actually not that efficacious because they're starting on a really low dose just Mm. to make sure that you tolerate it well, that you're not having any adverse reaction. So you go back and then we talk about the dosing and how did it go and how did it, what worked and what didn't work. And then he's going to start fiddling with your dosing to try yeah. to get it right in the window. And what I've seen from the research is this is super critical to getting an outcome. Mm-hmm. Getting that dosing right yeah. seems to be it's either on or it's off. Mm. So it either works or it doesn't work. Right. And for every different human, because we're such wonderful, colorful, spectral little, what are we, snowflakes, <laughs> everyone needs something different. So you can't say... Uh, for headaches or for migraines, uh, here's the here's the medicine and here's the dose. Go, it works for everyone. It, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. So this is another reason why GPs are struggling because they have to tailor each mm. prescribing yeah, it's regime to the individual. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, do you want to talk about your first experience with your GP? Yeah. Well, my GP. I mean, I, I was hassling him as soon as I started this business. I started hassling him immediately about prescribing cannabis, and he wasn't interested. And um, eventually, so there was one prescriber in his clinic actually that was prescribing, and his solution was to just to send people uh, down the hallway and go and see this guy. Mm. And I was just interested again to understand the psychology of why I accept. No, sure. Yeah. Okay, you said no, I accept that. Right. But I'm curious about the why because we're, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're kind of representing the patient here. We're trying to figure out, we're trying to give them answers. So yeah. I really sort of needed to understand why. Yeah. And he told me a heap of palaver and lots of cool stories and hello, Graham, if you're listening. <laughs> we, you know, you know, we went through this process. You'll remember <laughs> it quite well. And at the end of the day, I kept pushing and pushing, you know what I'm like, and he said, look, it's just too hard. It's just too hard and I don't want to do it and I mm-hmm. don't need to do it, so I'm not doing it. I went, okay, that's, I totally accept it and I, and I understand. It is hard. Mm. What we really need is cannabis specialists. That's really, to me, Absolutely. where this is going. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. You know, my personal experience was not me personally, but my father, you know, he's got chronic arthritis, he's in pain every day, he's now having to go through uh, all about to start chemotherapy and we as a family are concerned of the side effects that he might experience because of this and so I suggested having a chat with his specialist about that and he did and she was straight up no. Just 
not it's not going to work while we do chemotherapy. What sort of age group are we talking for this specialist? She's a young woman, probably in her 30s. Okay. And just cut him off. Yeah. And it's hard because it's not fun seeing my father in pain generally day to day. And then the fact that he's very frail and having to go through or about to go through chemo, he's, he's going to be worse. And what about the GP that referred to the specialist? So his normal GP, older, in his 70s, we even approached him, well, my father approached him many months ago about it before all of this treatment was even discussed. And he's like straight out, again, no. Mm. And you know, we think it's because he's near of retirement. Again, it's that too hard basket. Yeah. And morally, I don't think he agrees with it, which is really disappointing because, mm. you know, my father is willing to try anything right now to yeah. improve his quality of life. Yeah. And he's just getting, yeah, nose everywhere. Did he, were you guys the ones that were talking to him about cannabis or was he amenable himself or... Did you have to kind of convince him that? Yeah, well, we already had a night, like obviously through working, you know, with Medibus, I'm fairly educated and my brother just has a, an interest as well. So we are fairly educated on that front and we've, you know, opened up our parents' eyes to a few things over the years. So they're willing to actually listen I'm to sure us. I'm sure you have your little rap scallywags, <laughs> rap scallions. <laughs> So, it's good that we can have those conversa- like open conversations with yeah. our parents and they're yeah. willing to listen because yeah. that older generation doesn't have a tendency of wanting to. Well, they're smack bang in that prohibition stigma. Right. Right. They grew up during this Harry Anslinger war on drugs, mm-hmm. reefer madness. Yeah. Right? I yeah. don't know if you've seen I it. I mean, my mum was a hippie, but she never did drugs. Like, I'm yeah. like, you're not a real hippie then, mum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, there's a window there. So, a lot of the, the community engagement pieces that I do with the septuagenarians, they seem to be teenagers of the 60s. Right. And I would do my whole spiel and mm. they would come up to me at the end of the speech and go, hey, um, <laughs> don't say anything to anyone, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I found it hilarious. <laughs> it's like, we did this once in the – you know, we've yeah, already we've, done this. and, yep, we, and we've, we've dabbled. <laughs> and it was all, you know, behind the hand and like looking, eyes darting around the room. And don't don't let anyone know, but, yeah. you know, we've, we've tried it before. Yeah. And yeah. it was – and it was yeah. wow, this – this stigma is really powerful, mm-hmm. really, really powerful, and yeah. it's unfortunate, and it's far-reaching. But my parents, no way, right. super straight. They were not teenagers of the of the sixties. They were young kids in the 60s. And so by the time that all rolled around to the 70s, mm. it, it had passed them by. Right. So when they were in in that age, and it's probably around the same age as your dad. Yeah. It was all this war on drugs, Harry yeah. Anslinger, it's bad, mm. you're a beatnik, you're going to… Well, this, through the 70s, I mean, they were, you know, really… Like everyone was, well, not to say everyone, but a lot of people were into, you know, cannabis. And then old Nixon came in and, you know, put these laws into place and eliminated it. Right? Yeah. So they made it. They made it part of their campaign trail yeah. to try to get votes. And it, and it's yeah. uh, and it's unfortunate. I think there's a whole nother school of thought and a whole nother set of reasoning out there in America, particularly that it was an opportunity for them to incarcerate the Negroes, actually. So yeah. they made it they made it criminal mm. so that they could incarcerate them. And, 
you know, all of this stuff. Anyway, person who suffers is the patient because not only we we are not allowed to use cannabis either medicinally or recreationally, mm-hmm. but we weren't even allowed to study it. Yeah, yeah. So we're now having to play catch up with all the stigma, play catch up with all of the research as a result, and we find that this scenario and this and this is unique to western civilization if you go to israel so the father of you know you say that the prescriber is a 70 year old and he's and he's stigmatized and he doesn't want to learn anything new that's fine mm, mm. the guy who discovered cannabis is 92 <laughs> yeah. so it's nothing to do with age he's from israel or he's he was actually pretty afford thinking country though would you not well, say? They just they just didn't acknowledge or adhere to anything that Westerners were doing. They're like, that's great. You guys yeah. do whatever you want. We're going to do whatever we want. Yeah. So it's nothing to do with the timing and the you know it's a very it's a very cultural thing and what was happening culturally at the time. Yep. So Raphael Meshalam is ninety two and he he was the one in this in the late sixties that discovered. THC and CBD, and then subsequently the ECS, and this, how this whole thing is actually medicine. So mm, it's right. interesting you talk about the demographic of the specialist and why mm. she's so reluctant, uh, immediately uh, reluctant to shut it down. And I think, from my experience, what I've seen is that they are prescribers, G- GPs, and they go on, they do extra study to become a specialist in a particular field. And I think that distances you from everything else so you become a you, you're a general expert at the start and then you narrow that down yeah, to becoming a special right. a specialist mm. and then everything else doesn't matter kind of thing fades away <laughs> yeah. a little bit it's yeah. like well i don't i don't care about anything else all i care about is my field of knowledge and i'm sure that they're very knowledgeable but in that particular case and i'm going to try to be as sensitive as i can with cancer, you're talking about cancer and chemo. These are the massive breakthroughs that the Israelis are having with cannabis. Yeah. And it blows my mind that you're out there in the world as a specialist prescriber around cancer treatment and you haven't educated yourself as to the new therapies. Yeah. And like, I think the thing to, to clear up here is it's not, we're not saying that it's a cure. No way. At all. But what we are saying is that it can reduce the side effects of chemo treatment, like reducing nausea and vomiting and, you know, things like that. So as an adjunct, if somebody asked me the question, what's the best possible application medicinally for cannabis, I would say to support chemotherapy. Mm. So It gives quality of life. Quality of life right. in, in the ways that we talked about before. So improvement in sleep. Mm-hmm improvement in appetite. Mm-hmm. It's an immune system booster. You get an immunomodulatory response with CBD. CB2 receptors are all the way throughout the whole body's immune system. Mm. This is what you're attacking when you're using chemotherapy. I'm sure the specialist knows this. Yeah, I'm sure. You're assaulting the immune system. Mm-hmm. You're depressing the immune system. You're basically taking a machine gun to the immune system to try to get the cancer cells to commit suicide. It's They call it apoptosis. Right. Funnily enough, you go and read David Meary's research and in a cell culture in a lab, he can use purely cannabis to do the same thing, to, commit, to get that cancer cell to commit suicide. So they mm-hmm. can kill the cancer cell 
in cell culture and in mice. Sure, it's a little bit harder in humans, but right. that's what they're working on. Mm. So when people are having chemo and they're using cannabis as a support, as an adjunct, the recovery in between the sessions. So you know you have a chemo session and then you have this recovery period and then yes. you go back again. Yes. So during that recovery period, your recovery is is massively accelerated and improved. So I would say, I know we've talked about this already, mm. find another specialist. Yeah. We're not really here to wait around for these people to change their mind. And unfortunately, mm. you know, and I'm sorry for your dad. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily have the time to wait around for this lady to change her mind either. No. Right? No. And we don't need Certainly to. Not. You don't need to. Yeah. Well, we're helping him through that process. So he's definitely going to find a, a new GP. Yeah. So, yeah. They're out there. Yeah. And uh, I know I've had I've referred patients to Cannabis Doctors Australia. They're very good yeah. uh, for chemo, for mm. that, all of that stuff. Yeah. They've been doing it over and over. They really know what to do. They're very passionate about it as well, yeah. about getting that dosage right mm. and getting the medicine right. Yeah. And they're very supportive. Yeah. So. Yeah. What about for those patients out there that don't know much about medicinal cannabis, don't know that it's an actual option to them and what products are available? Yeah, it's interesting. We're not allowed to advertise unapproved medicine. So how do we get the word out? So in 2016, the federal government and Minister Hunt approved cannabis as a medicine. Even as late as last year, when I'm talking to people, they still ask me, oh, is it legal now? They don't know. I know. I've had same conversations recently with people I know. So part of the problem is the public awareness, and that's what we're about as well. It's legal. Any prescriber can write you a script. It's all above board. Nobody needs to be sneaking around, meeting you up in the car park at midnight. It's all finished. It's not like that anymore. Yeah, and I think patients don't know what conditions medicinal cannabis can assist with either. So that's a really interesting point. There's, there's some traditional let's say, as much as you can say traditional in the last couple of years, pain, sleep, anxiety, like I mentioned, mm -hmm. these yeah. are super common. Mm -hmm. But because of the way that the ECS works, we're finding a, a response from the ECS related to almost every single condition that you, you can imagine because it's all throughout your body. It's in your skin, it's in your eyes, it's in your immune system, your nervous system, your brain, Appendix, actually, people for a long time thought that the appendix was superfluous and that it should just be removed. Mm. No. <laughs> it's playing a role, actually. Right. And when you, when you stimulate the ECS, we see a response, a modulatory response in the appendix. So the ECS is like this extra little window into our health that we never knew before mm. and we're learning about it and this is the problem and unfortunately it's a problem for patients because science takes a long time it does so almost everything okay within reason yeah <laughs> right you turn up to hospital with a leg missing you're not Can't cannabis is not going to help you Can't be fixed no right no one sock too many well <laughs> it's not going to help unfortunately <laughs> i don't think <laughs> <laughs> it might help you sleep. It might help you relax. It'll make you feel better. Sure, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, mm. let's be realistic and pragmatic. Mm. The ECS is a, is a microscopic system. It's making fine little adjustments. Mm -hmm. And this is how cannabis works. So, to keep you in balance. So, something dramatic 
you have your arm ripped out of your socket, your body's going to make endorphins, it's going to make adrenaline, it's going to pump you with a heap of drugs to help you deal with it. Mm. And that's not what the ECS does. The ECS is the fine the fine tuning, mm. actually. Yeah. So yeah. that's why it was harder to find. It's harder to measure. Mm. It takes longer to learn about because it's it, everything is is actually microscopic. Yeah, I just wanted to take you back to, I guess, the product itself and how you know this whole accessibility thing. I think price of products has a lot to do with, yeah, the problems that patients have with accessing it because. You know, going back to my father, for example, he's a pensioner and the pricing that he looked at, you know, six months ago, it's very expensive. And so, I just wanted to talk about like, you know, what's happening now in the market? Is it becoming easier for people to be able to afford it? So, at the start, I would say certainly it was expensive and that's because mostly you're setting up a new process and I would say the regulatory burden as well. Mm-hmm. So for your guy growing in the backyard and selling out of the combi, like we said before, it's actually pretty cheap. Yes. Because he's just growing something in his backyard. He's probably not even putting fertilizer on it. He's probably just watering it. Yeah. Nutrients are actually fairly cheap though. Mm. Where it starts to get expensive is in the processes and in hiring people. Yeah. So let's say you were a car manufacturer in the the 18th century, right? And only 10 people were going to buy your car. But you got to build the whole factory, mm-hmm. buy all the parts, put it together, test it, make sure it's not going to burst into flames. Mm-hmm. you got to do everything that you would as if you were selling millions of them to sell 10. Right. So that's what it was like at the start. Now that it's getting more popular and that it's more accessible and the volumes are going up, well, then the price comes down. It's just simple economy of scale. So years ago, Let's say it would be maybe around three three fifty a month to buy cannabis medicine. It would last you about a month. It would cost you around three hundred dollars. Now I think it's about half that, really. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of cheaper, more accessible, and more affordable products on the market, depending on what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. So I would say now, you know, for around one hundred and fifty dollars a month, you can maintain a, a cannabis medicine regime. Yeah. And so, can you talk about medicinal cannabis being available by prescription, so from there on down? Uh, Yeah, so it is by prescription only. And like I said, it is fairly easy to get a script. The hardest part is probably the initial phase of that, going through the consultation, answering the questions. Again, it's not that hard. Mm. I really urge you, if you've tried it, talking to your doctor and he turns you away, go and see another doctor. Uh, you don't need to be locked into this no. battle no. trying to convince your doctor. If they don't want to do it, I think that needs to be respected. Yeah. There's plenty that do. There's plenty that do. And that's really what we're trying to do. There's a, there's a network. There's hundreds and hundreds of prescribers around the country mm-hmm. that have seen the benefits and yep. for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were teenagers in the 60s. Who knows yeah. why? Yep. Certainly, the doctors that are prescribing on a regular basis see for themselves the results mm. and they keep going because it works. Yeah. I think the, the key thing is to educate yourself before going to your GP. You know, I think going in and, and discussing products that you've already researched does help. 
Yeah, I think so. But there's also a little bit of a tricky situation there where you're a patient who is, doesn't have a med- medical education. No. And you're rocking up to somebody who has a medical education. Sure. Trying to tell them. Oh, I'm not this saying go in and you know, tell me <laughs> you exactly know, what you need to be prescribing I'll me. I'll tell you I, how I to think do your job. There's just a level of self-education that you should be doing sure. going into that sure. consultation. I think I agree, but I think it needs it comes with a caveat, and that is choose your information carefully because there's also a lot of misinformation out there. So we look at information from a scientific perspective. Does it come from a reputable institution? Has it been peer-reviewed? Mm-hmm. Is it validated data? Yeah. So when you read something somewhere that says, CBD is going to fix all your problems, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's not for everybody. I'm not going to stand here and say, this is the magic cure that everyone's been waiting for and get on it and all of your problems will be solved. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So certainly the NIH, the National Institute for Health, PubChem, these reputable places where you can go to the website freely, you don't need a subscription or anything, mm. Type in cannabis for Alzheimer's, mm. right? Yeah. In the search bar mm. and look for a reputable paper and, and have a read. Yeah. Because the information is mm. out there. It's absolutely yep. it's out great there. great advice. Thousands sure. and thousands and thousands of papers being produced mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So once you've got a, say, a referral from your GP, you've gone to your GP, you've got a referral, What's what comes after that? You can go directly to an online consultation such as There's some, yeah, so alternatively, yeah, so CDA, they'll book you in a consultation. He'll go through those questions. That's his obligation. That's his due diligence. Yep. The prescriber will try to understand really precisely what your condition is and what you're talking about so that they can accurately write you a script. So let's say for chronic pain, for example. So for chronic pain sufferers, what we're seeing is that most patients are responding the best by having a cannabis regime. So not just one product. And again, this is because we don't really, we haven't got right down to the precise science of it yet. We're still working on it. So if you're being prescribed a cannabis flower product, raw flower, buds, the same as what you would buy from the black market, except a hundred times better. Sorry, let me clarify because yes. it's free of toxins. It's been grown in a controlled environment. It's got no nasties in it. And in most cases, a hell of a lot stronger. You get this immediate onset within a minute or so. So if you've got a really sharp pain that you're trying to blunt straight away, this is the type of thing that, that is super effective. But it'll also wear off quite fast. Right. So what we find is Let's say for a chronic pain condition, you have an oil and a flower. Yeah. And oil takes a lot longer to onset. Right. But it lasts a lot longer as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got like a one to one and a half hour onset window for oil. Yeah. But a six hour duration. So great idea to get you through a sleeping cycle right. or something like mm-hmm. that. If you've got a chronic problem and you try to take oil, you're going to be sitting there with your problem for an hour or so before anything happens. Right. So yeah. Depending yeah. on what the problem is depends on mm. what kind of products. Mm. So there's capsules, there's crystals that are much stronger and more pure if you've got a really, a really bad problem or you're palliative or something like that. Gel caps are coming along. Most of the products that we're seeing at the moment, oil formulations and whole flour, including CBD. So it doesn't necessarily have to be THC flour. 
Can you talk people through how they would take the oil and take the flowers? Yeah, so the oil is generally sublingual, so it drops under the tongue and you can have it in various ratios. So you might have a whole CBD, just a CBD formulation. Typically, this is what's been used for Dravet syndrome for kids with epilepsy, but you can also have high THC oil, depending again what your problem is and whether the prescriber thinks that that's going to be the best solution for you and everything in between, complete blends. So we've got a 10-10 and a 20 to 1 whole plant formulation. So all of the compounds are in there and the ratio is, is changed depending on what your particular needs are. So the oil and the flour are, are the most are the most popular products at the moment. The flour is generally used with vaporizing yes. a device. So when you vaporize the flour, you're not actually igniting and burning it and inhaling all of that plant matter, that biomass. Mm. The vaporizing method heats the biomass up to a point where the compounds that you're looking for, the phyto compounds that we talk about in one of the, our other episodes lift off the biomass and they turn into vapor. Right. And vapor and smoke are two different things. Mm. So vapor ha- doesn't have any of the mm. carcinogens. Yeah, and that's why it's the healthier option. And that's why it's better. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's not harmful. Right. And that's why a prescriber can say, I'd like you to vaporize. Mm. He's never going to say to you, go and light up. <laughs> because it's carcinogenic and we know that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So... Vaporizing the flour is probably the most common way to go. Yeah. And the good thing about vaporizing, and let's say we're comparing it to, to rolling a joint, is the dosing. Mm. So that you can be really precise with the dosing when you're vaporizing. Mm-hmm. Super precise, down to 0.1 of a, of a gram, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, you know, if you're having it in a, in a traditional fashion in, in the case of a, of a joint, well, you're just guessing. There's no, and you can't. Mm. measure and every time you roll it's a little bit different and every time you so it doesn't align with being a medicinal method um, whereas the vaporizing does yeah the thing that i find personally i had some really chronic back problems around christmas and was trying the flower for myself Mm. is microdosing right so microdosing cannabinoids, I believe personally, this is my opinion, is really where it's at Mm. because you can control, like I said, the ECS is trying to dial in a very fine balance. It's not a big block change in your homeostasis. It's trying to find a nice little sweet spot. And I think that aligns really well with microdosing. Mm. And then if you are using THC for your problem, then you're not getting these stratospheric or untenable states of mind that stop you from working or stop you from thinking and going about your business. Mm. You keep it you keep it on this nice fine little cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So to really simplify it for patients out there, there's actually a list of GPs on the Onally website that prescribe medicinal cannabis and we will link Onally to the show notes. And I guess we're doing this because we, we're aiming to simplify the process as easy as possible for patients. And the list on Onnelly and the other information that we'll provide in the, in the show notes isn't an exhaustive list, but we are working to bring you more information uh, regarding prescribers. Yeah, that's right. And look, thank you again. We're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. We hope you learned something and we hope that we could be a little bit enlightening. 
If you have any questions or you need some assistance, please reach out to us and we'll help you wherever we can. We think that every Australian patient deserves the opportunity to have access to medicinal cannabis and we will support you however we can. Thanks again and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.